0: morning church how are you feeling today good oh that was the energy level is low I'm an energetic person when I come to church I need a crowd of people to amp me up to get ready for God's word and everything that's going to happen so how y'all doing that's what I like to hear that's great isn't it great when you come to church and the pastor forces you to be optimistic about life Hey, well, uh, I'm so glad you're here. If you're new with us, I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you joined us. Chapel Street Church, we long to be a place where you can experience God's grace in your life, where you can be encouraged to grow in your faith, and where you can be aided in making an impact around you. That's what we want to be. We want to be a church where those three things happen constantly. Uh, And we do that in a variety of ways. I wanted to make sure you knew of a couple that are starting here in the next couple of weeks. The first is we do have some women's Bible studies starting in the next couple of weeks, if you're new to our church and you're lady looking to get connected to others here, these are a great opportunity for you to do so, and a great opportunity to uh, learn a little bit more about God's Word. The studies that these guys do, I'm very jealous, actually. The men are a little bit behind the ladies in this respect, but uh, we actually have four different studies this year that you can jump in on. Uh, they're looking at God of Deliverance, which is going to be on Wednesdays, uh, and then I think Uh, Is there one on Fridays for that as well? I'm not sure. I'm going to find out for you. It's not on my slide. Thursday is what? Thursday is the new Friday. See, that's what you should be doing the announcements right now. Uh, And then we've got a study on Amos as well. So if you want to get involved, we have in-home studies. We have studies here at the church. Again, great way to get connected, meet people, and dive into God's Word together. So if you want to learn more, Heidi Dunsell is at our kids' desk this morning. She's waving wonderfully at me right now. She, uh, she knows a lot more about this. She helps lead in our women's ministry department. She'd be a great person to get to know if you're looking to get connected as well. So make sure that you stop by and get to know her. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is for parents of young kids, I'm really excited about this. It's a, kind of a new step for our church. We're gonna be launching what we call Adventure Club here at the North Aurora campus. Uh, and this is a, a ministry for kids aged kindergarten through fifth grade. Uh, we've done this for many years at our Kesslinger campus, which is our bigger campus over by Delano Hospital. Uh, But this is going to be really great for us. We have a lot of young families in our neighborhood that we're looking to serve and encourage and uh, minister to. And if you have kids in this age range, I'd love for you to be a part of this. Uh, It's going to be a really fantastic opportunity. Kids just get together, play games, hear some stories from God's words, make some crafts together. Uh, Our kids go here, and it's been absolutely transformative in their life. And I'd also mention, if you're a parent as well, I know how difficult... Uh, it is to get connected to church when you're a parent of young children because life is very, very busy. An Adventure Club for Virginia and I has been an opportunity for us to get to know the parents who are in the same boat looking to encourage their kids in Christ and in their faith uh, and get connected to others who are walking alongside of us as well. So uh, if you want to find out more about that, please come let me know. You can register for that right now on our website or at our welcome desk. Uh, And again, come talk to us about it because all of these opportunities that we talk about here, we don't just want to fill our schedule and be a busy church. I want to come back and say we want to be that place where we can experience grace, grow in faith, and make an impact. That's what we are here for. Well, we're going to come to worship now, so I invite you to stand with me. If you want to say hi to someone next to you, greet them, welcome them into God's house this morning, and then we'll sing together in praise of the great God who's loved us. We uh, get started here this morning. I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Uh, Today, some of you know that it's going to be our annual business meeting at church over at our Kesslinger campus uh, at noon today. That's a great opportunity for us to kind of look back over the last year and celebrate a few things. And I wanted to celebrate a few things with you that I was really astounded by. Uh, It's kind of the end of the fiscal year for us as a church. And this year we finished $20,000 over budget and the most exciting thing of all is for the first time in our church's history we gave over a million dollars outside of our walls to organizations around the world that are sharing the gospel, that are investing in kingdom work, uh, that are ministering to people here in our very own city. Uh, and so I just wanted to say to you I'm, I am proud of you as a pastor and I am excited to be a part of a church that really holds true to that, that kind of saying that we say here that we are a church not primarily for ourselves but for our neighbors. Uh, That's an incredible thing, yeah. So that's that's not a moment just simply to pat ourselves on the back. That's great, it's wonderful, but we wanna keep pressing into that. We want this to be the first time we've ever done that and to keep growing beyond that. And so if if you have not yet jumped in on, on generosity here at Chapel Street, I would invite you to do that. It's an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing here in our cities. Uh, but also just be praying with me for our church, that we would stay in this place of being a church, not primarily for ourselves, but for our neighbors. The other thing I wanted to mention before we start as well is we have a series uh, coming up called A Doubter's Guide to Jesus that is going to be led by uh, Dr. John Dixon. And it starts on Saturday, September 23rd. This is going to be an incredible opportunity to invite a friend along to hear about Jesus. very Seldom do we get the opportunity to be in a room with someone quite as smart as Dr. John Dixon and ask him any question you want. That, that will be a part of what he does is be, he'll give a short talk uh, on some of the aspects of Jesus historically and, and helping people kind of wrestle through some of those doubts. But there's going to be a time where you can ask any question. Uh, and so this is a fantastic opportunity. If you have wrestled in your heart, if you have your own doubts, which many of us do even in church, or if you have a friend who you're wanting to hear more about Jesus, you want to talk with them about Jesus, it's a great event to invite them along to. So mark Collins for this. He's going to do it for four consecutive weeks. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to think that I'm an okay preacher, but John Dixon is a fabulous resource to our church and he, he loves us very much. So really grateful for his time. Uh, make sure you grab one of those flies. You can grab those at our welcome desk or on your way out as well. Well, this morning we are continuing our series that we're calling Pathway to Purpose, uh, and it's really what this series is about is looking at the Christian life, looking at the, uh, what the journey of being a Christian is supposed to look like. What kind of habits and attitudes should be associated with the Christian life? And we'll talk more about that in a second. But whenever I hear a, kind of that thought about what things are associated with something else, I always think of the game show Family Feud, right? Because i are always asking them, you know, what are the top things associated with this subject or this thing? Uh, it used to be called Family Fortunes in England, which I think that that is an interesting commentary on Americans, that you want to call it Family Feud as opposed to Fortunes. Maybe the English people are just a little bit more optimistic than I thought. But uh, they obviously, they get a team in there, they'll get the family in, you've got to answer these questions. So I thought we'd play a little bit of game uh, of a Family Feud this morning together as a Chapel Street North Aurora family. I am going to give you uh, a a topic or a subject, and I want you to give me what you think the top three things associated with that thing is. I'm going to make it really easy, seeing as though I kind of live in this identity as a British and an American. I'm going to ask you about America, and I'm going to ask you about Britain, okay? So when I first moved to America, I lived in the state of Texas. So if I said to you, what do people most commonly associate with Texas, what would the top three things be? What would you say? Cowboys? cowboys. and General cowboys or a football team, the cowboys? Because that was the number one thing, was the Dallas Cowboys, okay? So I'll give you one there. Dallas Cowboys, there's two more. What, what else would you associate with Texas? Oil. Oil that was not on there. Eh, uh-uh. That's the noise, right? So uh, it was barbecue food and country music, okay? That's a, I love barbecue, but the last one is the reason I left Texas. I do not like country music. <laughs> Okay, so uh, if I was to say USA in general, the USA in general, I'm going to enjoy this one because this list is pretty ridiculous. The top three things that people would associate with being an American would be freedom was number one. we got a real American in the house today. That's right. Freedom was number one. Would you know what the other two are? The second one was capitalism. So clearly a Russian was involved in this game um and then uh, the last one <laughs> which it's not me this is what the stats say the the third thing people associate with americans is being overweight <laughs> which i have happily lived into since i moved to this country okay okay so now now it's only fair that i let you take shots at england as well right we've done america so if i asked you about england what would the top three things be that you associate with english people T is not on there. Thank you, Lord, because that is such a stereotype. The queen. So someone said the queen. Queen Elizabeth was number one. Sadly, she's no longer with us, but that's what people associated first. Yeah. Anything else? That was one of them. I can't believe it. The third thing that people associate with England was the English accent. Well, yeah, of course you associate. It's the English accent. I thought that's a non-answer. I can't believe it. anyway, the second one was Big Ben, okay? Everybody knows Big Ben. So we could go on, we could find different subjects, but whenever our mind thinks about something in particular, we'll gravitate to what do we associate with that? What do we think about that? Well, this series is really about what should we associate with being a Christian, with being a follower of Jesus? What kind of habits, what kind of attitudes? See, sometimes we have a lot of ideas that come into our head, a lot of jargon about what it means to be a Christian, and some of them, like some of the things on that list, are not really accurate to what it means, to be a Christian. And so we're we're trying to look at that together. We are looking at what does it mean to be a devoted, growing Christian. That's what we started last week as we looked at the book of Acts. We looked at this passage in chapter two of Acts where it tells us that the apostles were, were devoted. They were devoted to teaching, to community, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, devoted to all these things. And really what Acts two is describing there is a lifestyle of discipleship. A lifestyle of discipleship. Here's what discipleship is. Discipleship is an intentional pursuit of Jesus Christ by embracing his message and his example. Discipleship is the intentional pursuit of Christ by embracing the message and example of his life. That's what Jesus longed for for his, his followers. When he left, he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. This is what he said to them in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says what a disciple is, is someone who identifies with him in his death and his resurrection. That's what he means when he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. Christians are someone who has identified with Christ. And then second is someone who obeys his commands, someone who follows his teaching. So next three weeks, we are going to be kind of diving deeper into this idea of being devoted followers of Jesus by looking at what we have called the 6G life. And we've got a picture here, kind of a wheel that summarizes this. This is something that we've come up with here at church because we're often asked, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What should I do? What should my life look like? And so this is just kind of a tool, a summary. Obviously, it's not from the Bible, but it's a way for us to understand what are the key things that God calls us to as followers of Jesus? These six G's. First, he calls us to share the gospel, to gather together for worship, to connect in groups, to grow in our faith, to give generously, and to go and to serve those around us. And these are not kind of a wheel of pick your favorite and this can be your corner. This is what the life of a disciple looks like to embrace every corner of this. And you might look at something like this and be really intimidated and go, "Well, gosh, I don't I don't know how great I am at some of these different areas." You can feel intimidated by that. But I want you to know you're in good company if that's how you feel. Because if there is anyone who does look at that and say, "You know what? I'm nailing all six corners. I am the 6G king." You, my friend, are not a good disciple. Because the first thing a disciple realizes is that none of us live these out perfectly. That's why we need Jesus. That's why he had to go to the cross on our behalf because only he has lived a truly righteous life. Only he was the perfect follower of all of God's commands. What we do now is we seek to identify with him in having been for us what we couldn't be for ourselves and now follow as best we can his example by living these things out. So today we're going to look at gathering for worship and sharing the gospel. Two sections of that, that experience grace section. We call it experience grace because really these are the ways in which we first step into God's grace. And we'll talk more about what that means. But as we go through this, I, I, my hope for you and for us as a church is that we can be reminded of the life that God has called us to and that we can recommit ourselves, not simply to calling ourselves Christian, but saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be his disciple. I want to make disciples. I want to be about what Jesus has been about. Because, dear friends, what Jesus is about is life and life to the full. It's about relationship with your Father in heaven who made you, who knows you, who sees you, who loves you. So the way we're going to do that today is we're going to go to the letter of First Peter one of my favorite letters in the New Testament, written by Jesus' good friend, Peter. And he's writing to the churches, the fledgling, kind of struggling church, trying to articulate for them, this is the life of disciples. This is what it means to be the church. And here's what he says in 1 Peter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into Salvation. Will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want to look at three things in this passage that help us understand the life of a disciple, the life of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want to look at what it means to experience grace, what it means to gather for worship, and what it means to share the gospel. So let's talk about what it means to experience grace. Grace. I was talking before this service with our guest worship leader, Eric Elfman, who uh, very kindly came over from Mill Creek this morning to help lead us. We're grateful for you, Eric. Uh, yeah, you did a great job. And uh, he w- we were talking about how his daughter Grace has just started driving. And I remember when I uh, started driving uh, for the first time, I was very excited about this experience. Now, I wish I had been in America for this, because learning to drive in England is much more boring. We have way smaller cars like I remember the first time I came to America and realized that all these people were driving SUVs and these huge cars. But in England, I drove what was called a So It was a really small, compact car, but I was really excited for it. Now I was primarily excited because I knew once I learned to drive, I had some freedom, right? I can go and explore. I can do my own thing. And Eric and I were, were talking about that a little bit this morning for his own daughter. It's that intimidating moment when your whole life changes because finally you can do for yourself what no one else could do, what, what you had to rely on someone else to do for you before. Now, grace is the experience of being granted the ability to actually live out the life that God's called you to. Grace is is this freedom that you are given from God to no longer be stuck, waiting, but to be set free to go and live the life that God's called you to. When we say that we want to be a place where you can experience grace, it means that we want you to be a place where you can experience the message that will give you the mobility of life to live into God's calling for you. We want to be a place where you can experience the message of what God has done in Jesus, what he's achieved by his death and his resurrection. We want you to experience through word and actions what it means to be transformed by the gospel. At the start of this passage that I read, Peter starts by saying that Jesus was a living stone that was rejected. And he said that you yourselves are being built together like living stones into a spiritual house. You see, grace, God's grace came to us, not simply to make us feel good, but to transform us, but to give us a mobility to live out what he'd called us to. God was providing in Jesus what we need to become what he always intended us to be. Christ is rejected and he endures something terrible so that you and I can be built into something new. Peter goes on to say in chapter, uh, chapter two, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. You've been moved. You were one way. Now you're something entirely different. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You've moved from one position to another. Goes on to say in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So you see, there's a purpose to God's grace, and it's not to make us feel better about our lives. It's to move us from one place to another. It's for God to transform us, to take us from where we are to where he desires for us to be. For where we, really in our souls, where we long to be, the the things that we chase in this life, the things that we try and build for ourselves, God has actually provided for us in his son. That's why the Bible talks again and again about being found in Christ because he is the one that allows us to experience grace. It's an act of God. Ephesians 2, the most famous passage on grace says this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. By grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it hasn't happened because we worked harder and we obeyed a nice set of rules and we lived the way that we were supposed to. It's actually something that's come to us through God alone, grace through God alone. And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see again that the relationship between experiencing grace and being transformed to live differently, to become something new. The the Bible says it again and again. There's a quote from uh, my favorite show right now is The Chosen. It's a little tacky for a pastor to love the show, The Chosen. If you haven't heard about it, it's kind of a, it's a, a long-form series about the life of Jesus. But I love the show because it captures the story so well. And there's a, a point in which Mary is asked, how did you change? Why did you change? As a Pharisee comes to see her and he's realized that she's become a completely different person. he says, why are you different? And what she says to him is this. She says, I was one way Now I'm completely different, and the thing that happened in between was him. It's a great summary of what it means to experience grace. Mary was one way, now she's different, and the thing that was in between was Jesus. Everything that we do in church is an effort to help people encounter the grace that's found in Jesus. When we come to his word, we wanna hear his words and be encouraged by the grace of it. When we gather together and we sing together, we wanna encounter anew in song and in story the, the stories of God's grace towards us as people so that we can move from one thing to another. That's what it means to experience grace. And grace produces something in our lives. And first thing it produces is a desire to gather together for worship. Grace produces a desire to gather for worship. This is what it means when we talk about that in this little wheel of discipleship. Gathering together is this. As followers of Jesus, we gather together each week for corporate worship where we sing his praises, hear his word preached, and offer up our collective prayers and devotion to give him honor and glory. This is the first part of what it means to experience grace and to walk with Christ. And that's what we see in First Peter 2. It says this in First Peter 2.9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And I'm gonna pause there. What's the first thing you notice about the way that Peter is describing what it means to belong to God, to have been moved by grace to a new place? It's all corporate identity. He doesn't talk about them in the singular. It's all corporate identity. He says, you are what? A chosen race. You are what? A royal priesthood. You are what? You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So you see, Christian identity, this new identity that God gives us in Christ when we encounter his grace, can't be understood in the singular because Jesus died to create a united people, not just isolated Christian individuals. And that's been the trajectory from the very first page of the Bible. You you encounter in the garden, God creates the man. And what does he tell the man? It's not good for man to be alone. Right there at the beginning of everything, God says, you are not intended to live in isolation. And so he crafts Eve, the woman, to come and he creates the first community together. And from there, God only grows that. As you read the story of Genesis, it grows from one family into a bigger family. You meet a guy called Abraham. And what does God say to him? I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Because God is creating for himself a family, a people. In Abraham's people, if you keep tracing that you go through Exodus and you go through the journeys and you discover that God creates for himself a holy nation, the nation of Israel. God is growing. He's bringing people together. He's never speaking to people in isolation. Almost every page of your Bible is God talking to a people, a group of people together. So it comes as no surprise then that when Jesus comes on the scene, he draws people together into a family because that's what God does. He doesn't call the disciples in isolation and then send them back into their own well by themselves. He says, I want you to come together as a family, as a people, as a community. Listen to Paul in Colossians. This is Colossians 3, verses 15 through 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is he describing? Church, a church service. He's this is what you were called to, to be together, to sing together, to encourage one another, to hear God's word together. The entire New Testament, it's it's not letters to individual people, is it? It's letters to churches. Peter is to a church. Romans is to a church. Ephesians, name anyone you want, all of them. Even the gospels themselves were written for corporate bodies of believers to come together and hear them and hear that message. And even the commands throughout the entire of the New Testament are based around what we would call one another's. There's over 60 one another's in the New Testament love one another that's in John 13 welcome one another that's in Romans 15 care for one another that's in Corinthians bear one another's burdens Galatians forgive one another Ephesians teach one another Colossians do good to one another Thessalonians confess to one another in James and show hospitality to one another in 1st Peter one another's don't exist if we don't gather together it doesn't exist fulfilling Christ's commands Embracing his example means living a lifestyle of gathering together for worship. Now real quickly, why does Christ care so deeply about this? Why does Christ, why is he fixated on making a people for himself? Three reasons real quickly. First, to remind us. To remind us. Paul David Tripp, one of my favorite pastors, says corporate worship The gathering of people together on Sunday mornings for church is designed to remind you again and again of the right here, right now presence, promises, and power of your Redeemer. Every time that we gather together, everything we do, as I've said before, is intended to drive us towards Jesus, to remind us of who Jesus is. When you sit in those seats, you are reminding me of what God has done with my life. Once I was not a people, but now I'm a part of His people. I see your faces and I'm reminded you're my family. You're the body that God has knit me into. When I see you, I'm reminded that I'm not preaching so that I can learn some more information about Jesus and fill my head with nice Christian things. God has called me to be a part of his body, to encourage his body, to live as a people together, to bear one another's burdens. No church is perfect. And in fact, if you find the perfect church, don't go because you will ruin it. We need to be reminded in a culture that is deeply individualistic, that's isolated, that's fragmented, especially after a global pandemic, that God has called us to be a people together. I remember pre- preaching in, in the pandemic and what we would do is we pre-record the sermons to put them online. It was good for that season. It was the way that we could do it. But do you know what I missed every time we did that? It was you. I would look into that camera and I would rejoice that we were getting to share God's word, but I longed to be with God's people. That's my favorite thing to be. It's it, it's my favorite thing in church is not even getting behind a pulpit and talking about Jesus, though I love to do that. It's being with his people, it's singing his songs with you, it's hearing your voices, lifting his name up, and realizing God has knit me into his body. And you know, one of one of the, I think the strongest cases for how much God values his body. Do you know what God calls his body in the scriptures? His bride. It's his wife. So it's the, the bride of Christ. It's, it's what Jesus died for is his church. Think about what it means that God has selected that word to describe his body. It's a deeply intimate, loving word. He's saying this is what I value and love most deeply is my people, my bride. So remind the second thing it does is it refreshes us. There's something uniquely refreshing about praising God together with others, something that you can't experience on your own at home alone. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, I think that we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's a pointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. See, your enjoyment of God will be incomplete until it's expressed in community, until you share your praise with others. You were made to praise God, not silently at home alone, but with your family. My, one of my favorite things growing up was around Christmas and Easter, we would get together with the entire extended Griffiths family. There would be cousins from all over the place, aunties, uncles, and I, I remember even as a child that the difference in the atmosphere when we were all together Now we went off on our own and we lived our own separate lives and it was good, there's nothing wrong with that, but there was something special and I'm sure you can think of these times in your own life, something sacred about gathering together as a family, something important that refreshes you, that revives you. Last thing is it church remakes us, gathering together remakes us. James K. Smith said, when we say worship, many of us just think music or singing, which is already kind of a reduction of historic understandings of worship that comprise the entire service. So historically, worship has been seen not only as expressive, but formative. When the people of God are gathered by God around his word, seated at his table, that sanctuary is the space where God is molding and remaking us. And in that sense, worship is training its formation. What he's saying is when we get together, it's really not about what's happening up here. It's about what's happening right here. It's about God shaping all of us together. Through his word, through our praises together, he's training us in what it means to be his people. You are being changed by simply being here, by being present. Remember what Peter says at the start? 1 Peter 2, he says you're being built together. That's what the life of following Christ is, is you're being put together, constructed together, changed into something new. See, sin, the very thing that Jesus came to deal with, sin isolates us so it can destroy us. But what Christ does is he unites us so he can remake us. Sin isolates us so it can tear us apart, destroy us, pull us in different directions, but Christ unites us together as one body. People from across the different parts of society with different political persuasions, different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, different demographics, all together, put together in one body so he can remake us into something new, something that proclaims who he is, that says to the world, this is who I am. And so that's why the second thing that's important that we wanna cover is that we share the gospel. The life of disciples is sharing the gospel. When we say that, this is what we mean. We mean as followers of Jesus, we believe that the good news of Jesus is the greatest message the world has ever known. And we are called to share that good news whenever we have the opportunity. Go back to First Peter 2:9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim. He's united us together, he's gathered us together around his word, around his son, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his glorious light. He's called us to tell his story, to tell the story of what God's done in Jesus. And that's why proclaiming the gospel is so important in the life of a disciple. Second Corinthians, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is making his appeal through us. God is calling out to all of creation to to reconcile them back to himself through his son. And the way he's doing that is he is proclaiming through us as his people. It's an awesome responsibility. And it's why Peter goes on to say in chapter three, the kind of continuation of his idea in chapter two, he says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a reason for the hope that's in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. A few things that I noticed there in what Peter says, the first is we are to prepare to share. Be prepared to give a reason. That means that it's not gonna magically come on us. There is not certain people that are set aside and they're the evangelists and once in a generation a Billy Graham will come along and they'll do it all for us. All of us who follow Jesus are called to prepare, to give a reason to see that that moment is gonna come for us in one way or another. Might be in an everyday conversation, might be with a family member, but you are to prepare to give a reason. And a reason for what? For the hope that's in you. And what's interesting there that I know is he says when people ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So we should, the second part of this is we should be living in such a way that people go, I wanna ask that person about why they are the way that they are. Why do they live the way that they do? Why do they care for people the way that they do? If we are living out the life of a disciple that's gonna include a lot of these other Gs that we'll talk about in the coming weeks, people will ask us, why? Because to follow Jesus is is to stand out, It's to be holy, is to live differently than the rest of the world. So if we live differently, people are gonna say, why? The third thing that I know is he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. One of the main reasons I think we get intimidated about sharing the gospel is it's not always done with gentleness and respect. Sometimes we share the gospel in an effort to correct others, to be right. And dear friends, the very message of the gospel is none of us were right. We were all wrong. Christ was right. So come to him. That's why we can do it in gentleness and respect because how did Christ share the gospel with us? Did he come into our midst and announce to us our wrongness? No, he served us, he loved us. With gentleness and care, he made himself known to us. He put himself at the very lowest place for us. That was his proclamation. To become the least of all, the servant of all. See, when we are convinced of the importance of this message, it will compel us because we'll realize we're not holding on to some religious ide- ideology. We're holding on to good news. Good news that is good for others as well as ourselves. I'm always struck whenever I think about sharing the gospel of this quote by Penn Gillette. Penn Jillette is a, a very famous magician. He performs in Las Vegas. And one time he was in an interview and someone was asking him because he's a, a very outspoken atheist. And he, they're talking to him about, oh, how do you feel about people who try and talk to you about Jesus? Do they annoy you? And they kind of, I'm thinking, uh, probably trying to get a rise out of Pen. And this is what he says He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, Leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate someone? to keep that news to yourself? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? You know what's convicting about that is that Penn Gillette, who doesn't confess to know Jesus, understands the importance of the message of Jesus. What he's saying is if this is true, if Jesus really is who he said he is, if he is offering life to us, if he's offering rest to us, if he's offering healing to us, why would we keep that to ourselves? If the church truly believes this message that we talk about, why wouldn't we want to tell everyone? Now, of course, we do it with gentleness and respect. We don't rush out there in a panic and bully people into this. But nonetheless, we should have a deep desire in our hearts to say people should know the one that I know because he's good. Because the news is good. The gospel is good news. That's what gospel means, is good news. It's not bad news. We're not going out there to tell everybody how bad they are. We're going out there to tell them, look how good Jesus is. We have the opportunity as a church to tell a better story than the rest of the world is telling right now. Not a story about how this group is wrong and this group is wrong. But a story about how there is one who has loved us and gave himself for us. That's the opportunity that the church has in this hour to tell our story. We don't have to explain everything all at once. That's another intimidating thing about sharing the gospel, is we feel if we open the conversation, it's gonna come with five or six unanswerable questions. But you don't have to answer every question. Jesus didn't even answer every question for his disciples. There's time to grow in your faith. What we're doing is we're telling the story of what God has done for us. So just think for a moment. When we say that phrase, you are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. What are the excellencies in your life? What has God done for you? What has Jesus accomplished in your life? How has he moved you from one place to another? Think about that story. That is the most valuable thing that you have to offer in a conversation with someone else about Jesus. Is not answering all the theological questions, but proclaiming he who has moved you out of darkness and into his glorious light. Last thing I want to share is we need to share the gospel because it's good for our own souls. My favorite verse about sharing the gospel is Philemon 6. It says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul's talking to a guy that Philemon, he's a church leader in Colossae who was robbed by a guy called Onesimus, and Onesimus ditches him. And then Paul meets Onesimus and says, go back to Philemon and bring this letter. And in that letter, he says, share your faith with Onesimus. Tell him about the good news that's in Jesus for people who have made mistakes and who have fallen. And Philemon, do it because when you do it, you will know the good news for yourself. When you share the gospel with someone else, you realize what is inside of your own soul, what has been done for you, what has been given to you in Christ. I was just sat with someone recently. We were kind of grieving together some difficult things and I found myself sharing the gospel and as I'm doing it, I'm realizing I have not been good at doing this for myself and yet sitting across with someone and talking to them about it, it's making me remember what Jesus has done for me. So if you're in a place right now where you're struggling to, to fully embrace and understand the love of Jesus for you, one of the best things you can do is to share your faith with someone else because it will remind you. It will remind you it'll be good for your own soul all of us need so, know someone who needs this message. All of us know that this is available for them, and it'll be awkward sometimes. One more story about this before we, we finish this. It, it's gonna be awkward sometimes. I remember in college I was part of a church that uh, we were talking about this, sharing the gospel, and I just felt very pressured. It was a very, very hardcore intense church, and they were very much like, do it, you know? So I went home and I was praying about it, thinking about it, well, who can I do this with? And I was, I was new to America. I was living in an apartment complex. And I don't know why I thought of this. It was very ridiculous. I thought, I'm gonna go buy some chocolate muffins and I'll knock on my neighbor's doors and I'll share the muffins with them and then I'll tell them about Jesus. <laughs> if you are thinking of doing that, there are better ways. I just wanna encourage you. This is how it happened for college-aged Andrew. So I went and I did this. I knocked on the first door. As you might predict, the reaction was, uh, I'm good, Knock on the next door, no one answers, knock on the next door again. They're kind of a little... Then I come to the fourth door, and I knock on this guy's, and I explain to him, you know, I, I just, I'm just giving muffins. He's like, well, why are you giving muffins out?" And I said, well, because I, I just wanted to love my neighbors. I'm a Christian, and I just wanted to remind people that God loves them, and that yeah, he wants to be part of their life. And the guy starts weeping at his doorway. And at this point, I'm like, oh, this was a mistake. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> but what happened, I ended up having a 30 or 40-minute conversation with my neighbor about places in his life where he was hurting, where he felt alone, and that he felt seen by God, and that this message, that he he could embrace it, that Jesus would want him. You have no idea when your next awkward neighbor is gonna come across your path, and you discover that actually, if you would just tell them about the love of Jesus, the impact it might have on them. Don't bet on your ability to be good at sharing the gospel. Bet on God's goodness to show up when you do it. Have confidence that God will always move. Even when you're in the awkward moments and the difficult moments, God wants to be known. And he loves you enough to not leave it down to your skills. So friends, as we close, I want you to think about this. Everybody in this room finds themselves in one of two positions first you are a committed follower of Jesus and this morning you are reminded that God has called you to be part of a people and to proclaim who he is and you have a chance in this series and in this moment to just pause for a moment and reflect and say how can I embrace more of what God's called me to and I want you to remember this God isn't asking more from you he's desiring more for you he's not asking more from you this this life of discipleship is not about you doing more being more for him you are made whole and right with God through Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. But there is more for you in Jesus. Second, you are someone who is trying to figure Jesus out. You're unsure. You hear this and you like this idea of grace, but you're not sure how to receive it. And friends, my encouragement for you is to simply come. To simply come to the one who has made himself available to you. To believe in your heart And to ask him to come and to be your savior. There is no magic trick to becoming a Christian and receiving Jesus. It's as simple as calling out and saying, Father, thank you for your son. I need him. All you need is to believe in Christ and in his righteousness. So here's how we're going to close this morning. We've talked about gathering together and proclaiming. This week, we're going to take communion. We're going to come to the Lord's table together. And I want to do it a little bit differently because what communion is, is a proclamation of Jesus. What Paul tells us in the scriptures is that every time that we come to the Lord's table, we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes again. So I'm going to invite Eric back up and we're going to sing two verses of a song together. And as you do, I want you to prepare your heart to come to the Lord's table. And as a reminder, this table, this act that we do together, doesn't belong to Chapel Street. It's not about... Chapel Street's way of doing things, this table belongs to the Lord Jesus. And he has invited anyone to come to this table if they believe in him, to remind themselves of what he has done for them. And so that's what we'll do. So just as we sing these songs, I want you to prepare your heart to come to the Lord's table together. Let's sing. As we come now to take communion together, I invite you to to take the cup that you got when you came in. If you didn't get one, if you just raise your hand, I wish will make sure that you get one. But what I want for you to do is to peel that bottom part of the cup. Inside it will reveal some bread. On Jesus' last night, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus sat with his closest friends. He took some bread, he broke, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this and eat this in remembrance of him. The same way, after that, Jesus took a cup—a cup that had been part of the Passover meal for thousands of years—and he picked it up, held it in front of his disciples, and he said, "This cup, this cup of wine, is my blood that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take this and drink this in remembrance of the one who was broken for you." Let's pray. Father, we thank you that each time we gather, we remind ourselves and we proclaim your death and resurrection. God, I pray that we would be a people who not only experience grace for ourselves, but seek to become a people through whom others can experience grace. Lord, that we would become a gathered people, a body, and that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's continue to worship together. I want to thank you for joining us for worship today. We're truly glad that you are here because God has made us a people. And so if there's any way we can love you, serve you, we want to live out what it means to bear one another's burdens, care for one another. We have a prayer team that can pray with you. Uh, And as always, come, if you are new here, I would love to get to know you, hear your story. Stop by our welcome desk. We have a gift for you. But for now, let me leave you with the very words that we shared this morning. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's in his name that we go. Amen.